Well, turn with me to Daniel chapter 10 this evening and we will dive right in. Starting in chapter 7, we saw kind of a gear change in the book of Daniel. And that was really starting to see some of the visions and the um, dreams and the, uh, you know, just some of the uh, kind of weird imagery, really. And uh, I've always mentioned, you know, both in the book of Revelation, book of Daniel, I, I bless their hearts, there's these artists who are always trying to sort of paint the images because they think, oh, this, there's an image in the Bible, let's paint that. And I always say, don't do it, just don't do it. I, I don't think these were meant to be painted. Uh, let me give you a couple, uh, some nice ones I found. Um, uh, these, are, these are the 10 horns you'll find uh, online. Somebody, somebody made the attempt, the, the, the horn with the big mouth. Uh, the Bible talks about, or the little horn that came up, you know. Um, and, uh, and, you know, Bible prophecy people, I, I've noticed, uh, as it turns out, there's a proclivity to use really bad artwork in Bible prophecy updates and stuff like that. So we've tried to, to not do that because you'll see, you know, scary stuff, fire and Satan and pitchforks and stuff talking about uh, Bible prophecy, bad idea. Um, the, the idea though of these images, it's not to paint them, but the images themselves speak of different things. So when we talk about a horn, it's not as much that we're supposed to picture the horn itself, it's what the horn stood for. And, and by the way, this is the way the Hebrew mind works. It's different than, you know, us westernized, you know, modern day uh, Christian churches, you know, where they go, oh, paint the horn, paint the horn. Nope, it's about authority. The horn is a symbol of authority. Even the Hebrew alphabet is, is symbols and, and sort of pictographs, if you would, uh, to, to tell us about, you know, uh, truths and the notions that are behind those images and what have you. So um, that, that's something we have to remember, and especially when we get into books like Daniel and Revelation. And so really Daniel chapter 10 is another uh, you know, uh, time where Daniel starts seeing visions and dreams. And uh, again, I'm not sure we're meant to paint all these things as much to understand what's behind them and what's coming and the future and those kinds of things. So we gotta kind of take a balanced approach at that and, and it's pretty important. So let's get to it, Daniel chapter 10. Uh, this is sort of the, the introduction to what's in the next couple of chapters. Daniel 10 introduces chapter 11 and chapter 12. Um, so kind of keep that in mind. We'll just do the introduction tonight uh, here in chapter 10. It says, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia. Now let's pause right there. <laughs> this would be 536 uh, BC. Um, now that's an interesting date. What this tells us is this is when Daniel's really old. He's an old feller at this time. Um, some say he's around 86. I've heard, depending on how you kind of see the dates fall and how old he was when he got taken into Babylon and all that, there's debate. Some say he's over 90 at this point. Uh, you know, I believe it's J. Vernon McGee who says, oh, he's over 90 for sure. Uh, but others say, no, no, it's actually, um, uh, you know, around 86 years old, but, but he's an older guy. And also the thing about this date, the third year of Cyrus the king, we know because the first year of Cyrus, there's, there's some interesting things about that date and it has to do with um, where Daniel is at at this point in life. He's, he's definitely retired from public office. Remember, Daniel was given public office and power uh, both in the Babylonian empire, but also in the Medo-Persian empire. Daniel found favor before God and favor in the sight of men. And Daniel was given these high power positions because of how God blessed Daniel. 
But it's at this point, we know that Daniel's kind of in a, a retirement mode, if you would. So what does he do? Is he sitting on a rocking chair on the porch just watching the days go by? I love what Daniel's doing in retirement. And, and, and uh, there's one other little bit about this date that you need to know. Um, the first, uh, you know, commandment uh, that came out, and there was, that's a funny thing, by the way, the, the different de- declarations that came to send people over to, to Jerusalem to start the process of rebuilding, what have you, there's actually several dates. Um, and you'll get into that. Remember the book I told you about, The Coming Prince? Uh, I talked about that last Sunday when we were talking about the 70 weeks of Daniel from you know 1895. He talks about the various dates uh, when the Jews would actually start migrating back to Jerusalem. But by this time, some of the Jews were already allowed to go back to Jerusalem from captivity by this time. So the captivity is, is you know, an, at an end or, or nearing an end, uh, depending on how you look at history. But uh, Daniel's still here and we're gonna find that he's really bummed out or troubled maybe you might say. So what does an old guy that's troubled about the days he's living in do? And by the way, I see such a parallel to the days we're living in. You know, we live in a dark day where things are troubling and uh, you kind of see a lot of darkness and and really we're gonna see some dark stuff here in chapter 10, uh, even demonic sort of power in this chapter. Um, what do you do when you're, you're just kind of thinking, man, there's nothing to do? Well, I love what Daniel does. Let's take a look. So in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a thing was revealed unto Daniel, whose name was called Belteshazzar. And the thing was true, but the time appointed was long. And he understood the thing and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. Um, Now notice that that's the situation, he's mourning. Why is Daniel mourning? And especially, you know, you might say, if if the Jews are starting to head back to Jerusalem at this time, uh, shouldn't he be celebrating? Well, if you know the narrative, do you remember when when the, the Jews were able to go back, do you remember how few Jews really did? I mean, even in the various migrations back, tiny groups of Jews, by this time, most of the Jews would say, you know, we're pretty happy as Babylon, you know, oh, Babylon, you know, they were all excited about living in Babylon and they didn't, they didn't wanna go back. It was just, you know, over 50,000 Jews who would actually go back uh, when all was said and done to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild, restore Jerusalem and for the Jews to live there where God wanted them to be. But most of the Jews stayed in Babylon and assimilated into Babylonian culture. That's, that's fascinating. Um, some argue that this is why Daniel's mourning. He, as an old man, he's seeing that these young whippersnappers aren't going back like they should uh, to, to Jerusalem. Some are, but not many. And it would be um, after this that Ezra, Nehemiah, Zerubbabel, and those guys would go. But, but uh, this could be why he's mourning in those days. And what is he doing? He's mourning for three full weeks. And notice uh, in your margin, it says, you know, a weeks of days. Do you, if, do you guys have that in your margin? Some of you with your older King Jimmy Bibles, it says weeks of days. Anybody, why does it say weeks of days? Of course, anybody? Because sometimes it's weeks of years, right? In the Bible, you need to understand that. Uh, I, I'm making that to kind of uh, put an exclamation point on our weeks of years from last week that we saw in Daniel chapter nine. Uh, in, this, in, the, in this King James, you have to understand it can be a week of days or it can be a week of years. Here, the, the margin reminds you, oh yeah, this is actually literally three weeks of days. So 21 days, Daniel is mourning. 
And what is he doing? He's not only mourning, but he's also fasting. It says in verse three, I ate no pleasant bread, neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth, neither did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. This would have been a partial fast as, as we know it in the Bible. It's not that he ate no food, but kind of like bread and water really is just the basics, you know, not fancy pleasantries and fancy meats and stuff like that. He fasted and was in mourning and he also didn't anoint himself. You say, well, that's annoying. Why wouldn't he take a bath or clean himself? Well, that's the idea. The anointing was to freshen up, you know, <clears throat> and, and Daniel just, he's just in this place of mourning <clears throat> and eating just your basic bread and water and, and he's fasting, which means he's also praying. Uh, he's praying, fasting, and he's just kind of, you know, stowing away, um, seeking after God. That's the, that's the idea that we should get here. And the thing I love about this is what's the old guy doing? He's not sitting on a rocking chair, just griping and grumbling about the days that he's living, these kids nowadays and that stuff. He's not. He could, he, he, if anybody could have done that, he was the guy. Because uh, he was, you know, totally faithful and following the Lord. And, and now he's, he's mourning, but he, instead of complaining or Instagramming or Facebooking, he, he, he finds himself self-praying and fasting. You know, just a question. What would happen if, um, if, if, if all the church of Jesus Christ, just, just pretend for a second, if all the church of Jesus Christ said, in, or instead of you know, social media, what if we spent all the time we're using on social media, what would happen? I know this will never happen, but what if we took all the time we're spending on social media and put it all to prayer? Uh, oh, oh, let's go even crazier. What if we took it all to prayer and fasting, some of you would starve? <laughs> because, uh, well, social media, man, that's, that's all day, every day, right? But can you imagine what would happen? I mean, I just wonder about, because in this story, we're gonna see where because of Daniel's prayer, angels are being dispatched. Like, can you imagine if we could see the spiritual realm and, and, and realize that if you were on your knees praying one afternoon and you're just seeking the Lord and praying for someone or for a situation, and then suddenly from heaven, angels were dispatched. The Lord gave commands and said, go. And, and, and suddenly, you know, some angels are, are, are you know, um, now don't get me wrong, Daniel's gonna get some of the big gun angels uh, for sure. But, but, but can you imagine angels being dispatched because of prayers that you're offering? That's what's gonna happen in this chapter. And I just wonder, you know, um, and I say that sort of facetiously, like I know it'll never happen, but what would happen if the whole church said, let's give, you know, uh, credibility to prayer. And, and what I wanna also say, it's not just any old prayer, it's, it's what we would call fervent prayer. That's the sense I get when I read this chapter is Daniel was in fervent prayer. Oh, I, I fear that we've become too cavalier with God. In fact, it's even worse than that. There, there's an attitude out there and, and there's actually, boy, I, I know I'm going on a rabbit trail on this, but I gotta say it. There's a, there's a movement that's actually one of the heresies of the early church. And, um, and the, the heresy was that basically, you know, God is fallible and a little bit like the Greek gods, you know, like he gets perturbed sometimes and, you know, sometimes does some things that he probably shouldn't do. Uh, like there was kind of that heresy uh, going around. Well, that's kind of starting to happen again today in modern day churches. A local church here, I was listening to a teaching and the, the teaching was, somebody said, hey, listen to this. And I listened, it was really a great teaching 
right up until in the point where the guy said, now we need to forgive God. Yeah, I'm glad you're shocked because if you weren't, I'd be shocked. Um, yeah, he said, he, said, he said, we need to forgive God. I know that sounds um, blasphemous is what he said. And I'm like, yeah. And I was like, oh boy. Uh, and I thought, well, at least he's acknowledging it sounds blasphemous. And then he said, it sounds blasphemous, but we need to forgive God. And, and, and here's the uh, example he gave, uh, because God doesn't um, always do things the way we want him to do things. And, and um, well, listen to this, this is where it gets crazy. He, he, he also said, he also said, he used the New Testament story of the woman with the issue of blood and touching the hem of Jesus's garment. And in that same story, Jairus raising the daughter from the dead. And, and because things didn't go the way, the girl, the woman wanted to touch and not be seen. Uh, and that's probably true. But she was seen and Jesus kind of called her out. So Jesus didn't do it the way she wanted to do it. And also Jairus wanted the daughter healed, not raised from the dead. So, so Jesus did that a little different. And we need to forgive God. And he quoted some heretic from a book about uh, that's what we need to forgive God when things don't work out. Now, now you say, Brett, you sound angry. I am, I'll tell you why. This is a pastor saying we need to forgive God. Now, what God are we talking about? We're talking about the God that healed the woman of a 12 year issue of blood. She should be leaping for joy, and she was probably uh, thanking him and saying, we're not worthy of anything about you. And, and Jairus had his daughter raised from the dead. Uh, we shouldn't forgive God for doing that. We should be rejoicing that God did all. You say, Brett, what are you, what are you talking about all this? Well, here's the thing. There's a movement right now in the church and it's kind of the woke sort of, um, sort of uh, you know, new uh, progressive Christianity that's always diminishing God and making you more like God or you are more, it's all about you. Watch out church. Don't be duped by these false doctrines. This, that is heresy, I'm just saying it. I know I sound like the old doctrinal you know, wacko guy, but count me in if that's what I am. Because doctrine does matter, doctrine matters. Yeah, thank you, thank you, it does matter. Uh, now the reason I say that is because what I see here in Daniel is not a guy who's hurt by God. Boy, things haven't worked out like, <laughs> you know. Daniel is not a snowflake. Daniel is a guy who knows that God's will be done. God is sovereign and God is holy. Like we, we need to forget about our stupid selves and give glory and honor and have fear of, of the great and powerful God of gods, King of kings. That's what I, I worry about in the modern day church is we've just plain old lost a reverence and a fervor for God. We really have. And so it's all about ourselves and all this stuff. Watch out, church, it's so bad. You know, I love what Romans 15:30 says, and mark it well, this is what Daniel's doing. Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. What's Paul saying? Paul the apostle saying, would you pray for me? But the, the word that's interesting is the word strive together. What does that mean when people are praying for someone and they're striving together with me for, in your prayers for God? It's an interesting phrase here. And the word strive is the operative word right there, that you strive with me in, in your prayers. What does it mean to strive in prayer? The Greek word for strive is this interesting um, word. It's synagazomai. Uh, you say, well, what's that? Gesundheit, Pastor Brett. Um, well, the word that you recognize in the middle there is what? Does anybody recognize it? Agonize, correct. 
agonize. It, it means to join fervently, formally, and assist in a struggle. Um, this is the kind of prayer that Paul was asking for, is that there be a sort of a fervent um, struggle kind of a prayer. You know, I, I fear that we've kind of got these prayers of platitudes and, um, you know, and, and, you know, sort of presumptuous prayers and thinking that God owes us and, and, we, and the man upstairs and sort of the buddy old pal sort of thing. But Daniel, I don't get that from him at all. I see that Daniel is fervently in prayer, partial fast for three weeks. And he's, and he's mourning and there's a, there's a fervor and a fear of God in Daniel's prayer that is just so important and so powerful. Um, and we need to get away from the whole, you know, God is good, God's good for the food, amen. There's our prayer life. We prayed three times a day for our meal. Um, and man, the, the food's blessed. Meanwhile, people are going to hell and uh, the world is turning upside down and uh, people are hurting and suffering, but we sure blessed our Cheerios in the morning. I know that sounds kind of funny, but it is, it is weird how some of us, our prayer life is our meal prayers. When really, oh man, we need to be given to that, that sort of agonize oh my uh, type prayer, fervent, formal, assisting in a struggle. Um, that's the kind of prayer I sense from Daniel here in Daniel chapter 10. So something to think about at least, Daniel, what do you, what do, you do when you live in days that are dark and days that seem dismal? I think Daniel's the model, again, Dare to be a Daniel. That's, that's one of the themes of the book of Daniel, if you ask me. Um, but all that to say, uh, so Daniel, he goes into prayer for three whole weeks and he does it with great fervor. I love this, partial fast, um, probably at least 85 years old, but he's praying. So what happens? What happens when he prays? When Daniel prays, stuff happens. I love that. And the, the thing that happens is verse four. It says, and in the four and 20th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, which is Hiddekel. Now that river, by the way, nobody really knows for sure what it is, but it's probably another name for the Tigris River, uh, as scholars have debated, but it's probably Tigris. Um, so he's by the river Tigris, not the Euphrates. The Tigris and Euphrates are, you know, that region of the world. It says in verse five, then I lifted up mine eyes and looked and behold a certain man clothed in linen whose loins were girded with fine gold of Upaz. His body was like the barrel and his face as the appearance of lightning and his eyes as lamps of fire and his arms and his feet like in color to polished brass and the voice of his words like the voice of a multitude. Oh man. Now here comes the question, who in the world is this? And um, there is debate uh, about this, uh, but I'll tell you, I believe fairly firmly that this is none other than a, a vision of Jesus Christ. Now you say, okay, Brett, um, right, I agree with that. But, but here's the, the debate. Some people say, Brett, it's not Jesus. And, they, and I, I say, well, why not? And, and I'll tell you why I think it's Jesus here in a second. But um, some people say, nope, can't be Jesus. And the reason, one of the big reasons I've heard is because it seems that this guy, they say in the rest of this chapter, needs help from Michael the archangel. He needs help to get to Daniel. Um, here's the problem with that, that theory. Does Jesus need uh, Michael's help? No. Here's another question though, just kind of for fun. Does Jesus need your help? Does Jesus ask for your help? Yes, that's kind of an interesting thing. Remember the little donkey, this little cult of a donkey, the Lord hath need of him, J 
Jesus needed a colt of a donkey and he needed someone to loan him a donkey. Like there is an interesting case you can make where the Lord says, I need that. I need help from a little a neighbor who's gonna give us use of his donkey. That's an interesting thing that Jesus, who is God, needed something from a farmer who had a donkey and a colt of a donkey. That's interesting to me. Um, so the point is, I, I wouldn't make too much of, of things because you know the Lord doesn't need, God doesn't need anything. But what's interesting is he does use uh, angels and he uses us to complete some of his tasks. But I'll give it to him, the, those that say, you know, we're gonna see, you know, Michael's gonna help, uh, you know, this messenger that's gonna come and, and speak to Daniel. But here's my argument. I believe that we just saw a vision of Jesus, the end, right there. Now we're gonna see it shift to a whole nother guy that we're gonna talk about who's gonna be this messenger that's gonna bring to Daniel this stuff. I don't believe it's the same guy. I think that Daniel's first thing is he sees a snapshot, if you would, of Jesus in his sort of glorified state. Then we're gonna move on. I'll show you how that goes. So I don't believe it's Jesus that's gonna get help from Michael later on in this chapter. It's this messenger angel, maybe Gabriel himself. Uh, we'll talk about that in a second. But why do I think this is Jesus and why would I argue this point? Um, because this seems very familiar. If you're a Bible student, there's a couple other chapters of the Bible that explain Jesus quite picturesquely and it looks very much like this description. Um, there are two places, Revelation chapter one and Ezekiel chapter one, both give you this same sort of picture. Uh, let me read to you the Revelation one just so you can kind of hear the similarity. Uh, Revelation chapter one, verses 12 through 16. John, the, you know, the apostle, he sees this vision of Jesus Christ, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And it says, I turned and, uh, to see the voice that spake with me. And I saw seven golden candlesticks and in the midst of the candlesticks, one like unto the son of man, clothed with a garment down to the foot um, and gird about the paths with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool and white as snow. His eyes were as a flame of fire and his feet burned like fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of, the mouth, out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shines in strength. And, um, and we know this to be Jesus, as you read on Revelation chapter uh, one and onward, you know that's Christ. There's a very similar depiction there. And also the same with Ezekiel chapter one. You see the same kind of imagery here. Um, you say, okay, well, what's all this stuff listed here? His body, verse six in Daniel 10, you know, was like a barrel. Brett, that's, like, that's you, you're like Jesus. No, not like a, not like a barrel, a uh, wooden. Uh, barrel is like a very pre precious, costly, uh, you know, stone, if you would. And his face like lightning and his eyes lamps of fire. Um, interesting description. Always when we see Jesus in his resurrected form, we see him having eyes that are related to fire. In this context, it's a lamp of fire. In Revelation, it's just burning fire. It's an interesting thing. What does the uh, Bible speak of uh, fire? As, as what is a fire a picture of? Judgment, that's right. Makes you wonder. Um, what, when, when, when these depictions of the eyes of Jesus always as being burning fire, what does that mean? 
I wonder, you know, if, if we have to be careful with this one because it, it might have to do with your perspective. You know, you know, it's like when, you know, Jesus is described as the stone. He's the stone of, of crushing and a rock of offense. But he's also the solid rock that we can put our feet upon. Like, which one is it? Well, it has to do with who you are. If you're a repentant sinner and you've been broken before Jesus, you're not gonna be crushed by Jesus. If you're prideful and you say, I don't need Jesus and I'm gonna do it my own, you'll be crushed by the stone of offense, the rock of crushing, the stone of stumbling. So it has to do with the perspective. If you're a follower of Jesus, I wonder if that's true with his eyes as well. His eyes of a burning fire, is it a, a, a burning fire of judgment and wrath? Well, maybe if you're on the wrong side of this. Or is it a warm lamp? Like, you know, here Daniel says it's like lamps of fire. Is it a inviting homey warmth? Well, I believe it depends on who you are. If you're a follower of Christ, you're gonna see his eyes of warmth. By the way, speaking of the eyes of Christ, um, there's a few places in the Bible that talks about Jesus looking at someone. Uh, remember when Peter denied Jesus three times? Cock-a-doodle-doo. I mean, what a, what a scene there, you know. Jesus said, you know, you'll deny me three times before this night is over. And sure enough, hey, this is one of the disciples. No, I'm not. Uh, another person, yeah, this is one of them. His speech, no, I'm not blankety blank. Starts swearing like a sailor. A little girl, hey, I recognize it. Nope, nope, blankety blankety blank. And he starts, you know, and he denies. And then, you know, and then the, the Bible narrative tells us that after he does this, the rooster crows and there's Peter. And then Jesus, as he's being led out, it says his eyes were fixed on Peter suddenly. Have you ever wondered what the look was that Jesus gave him? You know, I often wonder, you know, what's the Lord gonna look at you like when, when you get to heaven? Is he gonna go? <laughs> like, what, like what's his facial, is he gonna be upset or angry or, or is it gonna be? See, I, I believe it's gonna be a look of warmth as it would have been for Peter. You know, Jesus loved Peter, even though Peter betrayed Jesus, you know, or, you know, de you know, declared his, I don't know Jesus, you know, denying him. Even though he did that, I believe it was a look of love and warmth. And we know that Jesus would come with a little fire by the beach with some fish and Peter would get a chance to tell Jesus three times that he loved him. Jesus gave him that opportunity three times to undo sort of the, his, his bad denial. And I think that the Lord Jesus is gonna look at you, even though you and I and we as Christians are sinners, he's gonna look at us with warmth. But don't be mistaken, if you're on the wrong side of that and you haven't accepted Christ and you haven't repented of your sins, then that fire might just have a little different, you know, warmth to it. It might get a little hot. Um, uh, don't be deceived. You know, the Lord knows what he's doing and he's a, a God of righteousness and kindness, but also of wrath and judgment. So the eyes of fire, that's gonna be an interesting thing. And Ezekiel, uh, Daniel, and Revelation, all three give the same sort of description of Jesus. Um, brass is also a, uh, a symbol of judgment in the Bible. And in this case, like in the book of Revelation, his feet were like polished brass. And his voice, the voice of a multitude, it's like some of the other places, his voice was like the voice of many waters. Jesus speaks with multiple sounds, um, sometimes there are huge waterfalls. Sometimes it's a still small voice, but he's got the voice of many waters, the Bible says. And uh, this kind of goes in, in comparison to that. So you say, well then Brett, why does you know, Daniel see suddenly this snapshot in his vision of Jesus? I, I'll tell you why I believe that he sees it. It's because he's about to see this huge prophecy 
and you're gonna get into all kinds of things. You're, we're gonna learn about next week, we're gonna talk about Elizabeth Taylor. Brett, what does Elizabeth Taylor have to do with the Bible? Well, she, remember she played uh, Cleopatra, didn't she play? And who was the other guy? Richard Burton, yeah, that's right, Richard Burton. Yeah, uh, we're gonna see Mark Anthony and Cleopatra mentioned in the next chapter, which is gonna be kind of funny. Uh, and, and there's all kinds of intrigue and history and stuff that we're gonna see. But what is the spirit of prophecy? The spirit of prophecy is Jesus Christ. We don't ever wanna lose sight of what it's all about. I think Daniel gets the start of this amazing prophecy that he's gonna see in chapter 11. Uh, we're gonna start and realize, oh yeah, it is all about Jesus. It's about Christ. It's about Christ's second coming. It's about what Christ is gonna do for the Jews because Daniel, the book of Daniel, is about Jerusalem and Israel and same with the prophecies that we're reading. It all really is about Israel in the book of Daniel. And so um, we gotta remember to keep the, the main thing the main thing. That's always what we need to do, by the way, when we're reading the Bible. Lo, I come in the volume of the book, it is written of me. It's all about Jesus. Um, you know, one of the teachings, the, the, one of the first teachings I'm gonna check out when I get to heaven uh, is, is the one that Jesus gave on the road to Emmaus. Do you remember that, that teaching? What an amazing teaching that must have been because these guys didn't recognize the resurrected Jesus and they're like, what? Haven't you heard, like, where have you been, man? There's, you haven't heard about Jesus who was just crucified? He's like, no, tell me about that. Well, there's this guy, Jesus, they're telling Jesus this. And he died on the cross and you know, um, well, now he's risen from the grave. And then he starts to explain to these guys how the whole Testament is all about him. And he started at the beginning and went to the end talking about how you know, Jesus is pictured in the whole Hebrew Bible of the Old Testament. What a great, what a great teaching that must've been. Uh, it's one of the things I think that sadly is lacking in a lot of modern day teaching of the Old Testament, finding Jesus at the very center of everything. Um, that's why, you know, there's certain pastors, they don't get it. Um, you know, it, it's always um, uh, amazing to me when people say, we need to, you know, not do the Old Testament. Is it, you know, the church needs to focus on the New Testament. That just shows me that somebody's kind of missing the, one of the main points. Um, you know, Andy Stanley said, we need to unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. Dumb, dumb, dumb. <laughs> pastors should not say such stupid things. Uh, we should not unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament because it's the word of God. Uh, and uh, again, not to be overly sensitive, but I take offense to that and I'm not easily offended. But yeah, the Old Testament's full of Jesus. We need to look at the Old Testament and the Old Testament unlocks the new, just like the book of Daniel unlocks the, the book of Revelation. Uh, and without the Old Testament, you, you, you lose the pictures and the illustrations of the New Testament truths. Oh, we're so poor of a church if we, if we throw the Old Testament out, God forbid. So all that to say, uh, we, we need to see Jesus first and foremost. I think that's what Daniel does. Daniel sees this beautiful picture of Christ in his glorified state. And then we're gonna see kind of uh, what the angels have to say and the, the visions of prophecy are gonna unfold. So there it is, uh, this beautiful picture of Christ. And by the way, if you're interested, we did a compare and contrast, I think in Ezekiel chapter one, uh, when we talked about the, these pictures of Christ in his, in his glorified form. Well, it says in verse seven, and I, Daniel alone, saw the vision. For the men that were with me saw not the vision, but a great quaking fell upon them so that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore, I was left alone 
and saw this great vision and there remained no strength in me for my comeliness was turned in me into corruption and I retained no strength. Yet heard I the voice of his words and when I heard the voice of his words, then I was in a deep sleep on my face and my face toward the ground. Man, you kind of get a sense that poor Daniel's going through the ringer here on this particular vision. Um, and, and maybe the King James doesn't really do it quite the service. Some of your newer, um, what, what is the word there? I think it's like when it says in verse eight, the King James says, my comeliness was turned into me into corruption. It's like my, my beauty was turned into, you know, pale death or something like that, right? Isn't that what you're saying? Deathly pale. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's like he looked like a dead guy. You know, just there laying there dead. That's, that's how bad this was. When he saw this, he's about to hear this amazing prophecy. And so it's like he's sapped of his energy and he's just laying there kind of like a dead man. That's what it says when my comeliness was turned into corruption and he had no strength at all, yet he heard the voice of his words. And when I heard the voice of his words, then I was deep in sleep on my face and my face toward the ground. So the question is, um, when he saw this great vision, um, there's a couple things that are kind of interesting. Notice the guys that were around him. So he's around a bunch of people um, and they all take off. And, and, and they, they don't take off because they see the vision of Jesus, but because the earth seems to be quaking. Did you see that? Verse seven, there was a great quaking, but they didn't hear the voice, nor did they see the vision. Only Daniel got that. He says, I alone was left alone with these guys. They all left and I saw the vision and heard the voice. Um, does anybody recall another story that's kind of similar to that? Yes, Paul the Apostle. Remember when Paul was on the road to Damascus and he's with his posse and they're going to, to um, you know, persecute Christians and try to imprison them and all that. And suddenly the, the sky opens up and says, Saul, which was his, you know, secular name. Why persecutest thou me? And he falls off his horse and he's blinded by the light and all this stuff. But if you recall in that story, the other guys, they didn't hear all that. They, they, only, only Saul, who would become Paul, got to kind of hear all this. And, and remember, it cracks me up, the, the statement, you know, why do you persecute me, Saul? And, and he says, who, 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 who art thou, Lord? Like, I think he kind of knew who it was. When, when the sky opens and beams of light comes down and huge voice comes down, might be a good, maybe it's the Lord. Who art thou, Lord, question mark? And, 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 then, and then he says, you know, it's me, Jesus, whom you're persecuting. So it's interesting because here Daniel sees a picture of Jesus, but he's the only one that sees it. And all the other guys, they just felt the earthquaking. Kind of like Paul's guys, they knew something happened, but they didn't get the full meal deal. And there's something about that I, I find kind of interesting. Do you ever wonder if there's things the Lord has that are specifically just for you? Where the Lord gives you something and he just puts it on your heart. Um, and now this is a hazardous thing when you're a pastor, I'll tell you why. Because sometimes the Lord gives something just for you and you share it uh, with the congregation and the Lord's like, that wasn't for the congregation, that was just for you. I usually know that when I'm speaking, I get kind of a dead stare from y'all and you're like, what are you talking about? Uh, I get that. So I have some from time to time. I'm like, oh, maybe that was just for me. Thank you, Lord. I, okay, I'll just kind of tuck it back in my, my own little uh, situation here. Uh, but, but that's the problem. And, and one thing I would just say, sometimes the Lord might reveal things that are just specific things for you. By the way, the visions and dreams, that's not just Bible people. In the last days, there are gonna be more people, young men and old men, the Bible says, having dreams and visions. 
And so you have to be careful because sometimes it's just a you know, weird dream that you had, but sometimes it could be the Lord speaking to you. And you have to kind of weigh those things out, but you also have to say, Lord, is this just for me? Or is this something I'm supposed to be sharing to people? If you're sharing your dreams and visions and people think, um, man, where's a straitjacket? Uh, you might not be wanting to share those things. Uh, maybe that's just for you, something the Lord's giving to you personally. I don't know. I joke about the straitjacket. But uh, I have seen that where people, maybe it was maybe just for, for them. Daniel, he alone gets this. So the other guys aren't supposed to hear it. But Daniel is gonna record it. And it's, it's, this is a time release prophecy like much of the Bible. Uh, much of the prophecy of Daniel is sort of a time release. He's supposed to write down the vision and nobody ever understands it, but eventually they will. That's the idea with the book of Daniel. So Daniel gets this kind of thing where he was left alone uh, to, to receive his vi vision and he ends up just with no strength, yet he hears the voice of his words, um, which, is, which is really something. Now, he, we are left in verse nine where he then is in a deep sleep on his face with his face down to the ground. So the question is, whose voice did he hear? Did he hear the voice of the one mentioned there in um, you know, verse five and six? Was it the you know, glorified vision of Jesus that he hears that voice? Or is it the voice of another who comes in? I don't know for sure. And what exactly did that voice say? Not real sure. Uh, you could debate that and talk about that. But I do believe, however, in verse 10, as we move on, there's a hand that comes and touches him. This is where I'm pretty convinced this is not the same guy that we saw in verses five and six, Jesus, the glorified savior. Um, and that's because the hand that touches him, he starts to speak. Let's take a look. Verse 10, behold, after he's you know, asleep, in a deep sleep on his face for however, who, who knows how long, suddenly, verse 10, behold, a hand touched me which set me upon my knees and upon the palms of my hands. I believe if, if Daniel was touched by the guy we just saw in verses five and six, then he would have said, and that man's hand, the one that I saw in verses five and six touched me. But I don't believe that's who it is. There's another hand of someone else. And I believe it's possibly the angel Gabriel. Remember in chapter nine, we saw Gabriel uh, visit Daniel a second time. Uh, maybe this is like the third time Gabriel comes and speaks to Daniel, but he's not mentioned by name here. That is curious. So that's why people go on debating which angel this is. But I believe it's Gabriel. Uh, let's, let's take a look. You, you, you can make the call if you want. So he, he says, you know, he sets him back up, this angel, uh, verse 10 or, or whoever. Behold, a hand touched me, which set me upon my knees and upon the palms of my hands. So, so picture poor Daniel. He's been you know, out cold for a while. Now this angel kind of pulls him up, but he's only on his knees and his hands, like, like he's still kind of wiped out. Um, and verse 11, he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved. There it is again. Remember that? That's the last thing we heard in chapter nine. When the angel gives him that word, O Daniel, you're greatly beloved, Gabriel said. Same language, same thing. Uh, I love that. You're greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee and stand upright for unto thee am I now sent. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood trembling. Um, then he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard and I am come for thy words. Now pause here for a second. 
Isn't that something? Just like in Daniel chapter nine, we saw you know, Daniel praying, that beautiful prayer we looked at last Wednesday. And it was when that prayer happened, do you remember what it said there in chapter nine? <clears throat> it said um, that, <clears throat> excuse me, um, it says here, uh, verse, verse 20 of chapter nine, let's back up. And while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, yea, while I was yet speaking, even the man Gabriel, whom I'd seen in the beginning vision, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me. Same thing that happens in chapter 10. He's, the hand touches him uh, there. Uh, and it says about the time of the evening oblation, and he informed me and, and talked to me and said, oh, Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. At the beginning of your supplication, the commandment came forth and I am now come to show thee for thou art greatly beloved. Does this all sound familiar? It's the same thing in chapter 10, just a little bit of different uh, wording and stuff, but the angel comes, touches him, says you're greatly beloved, just like chapter nine. And then he says, from the very beginning, when you started praying, you know, 21 days ago, I was, I was given that commission to go and, and present to you this vision. So it's the same thing. That's why I believe now we're talking about either just some angel, but very likely Gabriel himself, because it, it matches chapter nine so perfectly. Um, and I don't believe this is the one who we saw in verses five and six. Do you guys understand what I'm saying there? Does that make sense? And you can, you can look into that further if you want, but just uh, maybe it's not even that important. But uh, I think whenever we're looking at anything having to do with Jesus, it's kind of important. Uh, so that's why we spend time with that. Um, so now he's trembling and you know, the, the angel says, don't be afraid you know, from the first day. Now this, this causes me some concern. If the commandment came from the first day that Daniel started fasting and praying and seeking the Lord, it says, from the first day, verse 12, that thou didst set thine heart to understand, to chasten thyself before God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. Well, then why did it take you 21 days? Well, come on, Lord, Daniel, poor guy, he's starving himself. He hasn't taken a bath. Uh, he probably stinks now because he hasn't anointed himself with oil. Uh, come on. Well, I think that the, the Lord might want us to pray for long seasons, um, why would there be a delay to, to Daniel's prayer? Well, we actually know the answer to this, um, but, but let me give you a few other uh, possibilities to think about, because have you ever prayed for something and it's taken the Lord a long time to actually do what you're praying about? Um, it's happened to me. Uh, there's prayer, prayers that I've offered that's taken years, uh, but the Lord has always been faithful, I, I have to say. But why so long? Why does it take time or why is answer to prayer sometimes delayed? Let me give you uh, just, a, uh, just three things that, that are worth consideration. Uh, the first thing is, number one, maybe the Lord just wants to spend time with you. Have you ever thought about that? Um, as a parent, you understand this. As a mom and dad, you know, especially when your kids get to be that teenage years when they kind of want nothing to do with you. And you kind of, oh man, I just want to sit and chat. And they're like, yeah, we don't want to do that. That's boring talking with mom and dad, but, but it's funny. So you have to come up with creative ways to say, well, you know, if you wanna do this, then you need to come and have a uh, sit down chat, you know, and, and you wanna talk to your kids. And I think the Lord, he wants to spend time with you and he wants to spend time with me. And so I don't think the Lord always just gives us exactly what we want right away because sometimes I think he wants us, you know, to, to seek him. Could this be what Revelation chapter three is talking about? It's funny how Revelation 3.20, this verse, is always used to talk about the unsaved. 
you know, to have their door of their heart opened. But do you remember who is, who is Jesus talking to in Revelation chapter three, anybody? The church, the Christian church. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. That's what a great promise that is. The Lord's just knocking at your door and he wants you to, you know, um, wants you to just seek him. And then he'll come in and, and sup with you and, and he with me. What a, what a nice picture of communion. By the way, um, if you uh, remember the, maybe you remember the old famous picture from 1853 called The Light of the World, um, where Jesus is pictured knocking at the door. William Holman Hunt's picture. This is, this is kind of the original one here. And you can look it up. There's other versions of this that came out later of Jesus knocking at the door. But when, when he painted this in 1853, this famous piece of art, um, it was in, you know, they unveiled the painting and everybody's like ooing and aahing and saying, wow, there's Jesus knocking at the door. You can see the vines that have grown up over the door and the implications are kind of interesting. But they said, you know, Sir William, you, you forgot something. And they, he said, what did I forget? He said, you, you didn't put the doorknob on the door. And he said, the reason I left out the doorknob is the doorknob can only be opened from the inside. I thought, that's good. You know, here's the Lord knocking at the door of men's hearts. And he's a perfect gentleman. He doesn't barge in. He doesn't FBI and ram your door open. Uh, if you went to Washington, D.C. Um, uh, <laughs> sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Um, um, you know, it's, it's really a funny thing how, um, you, know, the, you know, Jesus says, I'm gonna, just gonna patiently knock. And if you will, open the door. I'll come in and sup with you. I love this picture for that reason. He purposely left the doorknob off. Well, be that as it may, number one, maybe he just wants to spend time with you. The second reason you might wanna think about why there would be a delay to answer prayers, number two, to give us more time to think about what we're praying. Um, have you ever prayed for something that as time went by, you realized you really didn't want what you were originally praying for? Sometimes this takes years. Some of you guys were praying for that girl in high school, oh Lord, I want her. And right now you're, Lord, thank you. Thank you for not allowing that. <laughs> to happen. Like, it's funny how time can sort of change your perspective. Uh, and I'm, so, I'm sure some of you ladies have that prayer also. You're like, yeah, thanks, Lord. Uh, what, but, but to give us more time to think about what we're praying, you know, sometimes I think the Lord does that. But there's a third reason that we know for sure from this story, and it might be a bit of a shock to you, but it's simply the spiritual warfare. There is spiritual warfare going on behind the scenes, and you and I generally have no idea what's going on. Um, the spiritual warfare is something that's real and, and it sounds very heebie-jeebie and, and we get all kind of freaked out. And you know what's, what's funny is I've noticed the ebb and flow of the church. I've been a Christian for a long time. Uh, you know, 50 years I've been a Christian and I've watched fads and fancies come. Do you guys remember um, This Present Darkness? Remember the big, the series of books? And it got everybody all, ooh, there's demons everywhere and, and prayer and, and some of it was, I was glad about it because suddenly people became more aware because these books were sort of fiction works of talking about demons and angels and the battles and the warfare and spiritual warfare and all that stuff, which it was good because it sort of brought it to the forefront. But then people started getting weird with it and kind of crazy, and that's kind of what we do. We do that, where the, the church is a big pendulum, you know. Uh, if, if one minute we're into Bible prophecy and tribulation and end times of the rapture of the church, and then we swing over, rapture's for losers, and uh, who cares about prophecy? Uh, and, and probably somewhere in the middle, uh, I call that the Bible. Um, that's where we really need to hang out. 
But this present darkness and you know, those books were, were helpful, putting spiritual warfare back on the map, but maybe it's swaying a little far over this way. Um, and people got all heebie-jeebied out. But as it turns out, uh, there, there really are battles in spiritual warfare that, that's actually happening. And we see that. Let's take a look at our text here because this is what's holding this angel up. So he says, you know, I, I've come to give you these words from the moment you started praying, but, verse 13, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and 20 days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes came to help me and I remained there with the kings of Persia. So you say, wow, this is weird. Why would the king of Persia withhold Gabriel, the angel, if that's who this is? Why would he do that? And how could king of Persia? Well, as it turns out, this is not just your you know, king of Persia. The idea that the language here is the leader or the power in Persia, the power in Persia. What power? The spiritual power. Um, virtually all theologians agree that when we say Prince of Persia, we're not talking about, you know, uh, the president of Iran or the leader of Iran. We're talking about the spiritual power that's there in darkness, um, you know, demonic powers and entities. Um, and we know that, by the way, because can an a- would, a, would, a, would a man be able to withhold or withstand the power of an angel? The answer is no. We know that, you know, Michael the archangel, who's kind of the military angel, he's sort of the SEAL Team 6 angel. Um, we know that he came in that one night after dinner and killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers in one night. Uh, and he did it without even breaking a sweat. Um, so, so we know that angel, angelic beings have massively huge power. So it wasn't this prince of Persia, meaning the king of Persia, but it's this power or demonic entity that was withholding Gabriel. Now it is interesting because Gabriel, if, if Michael's sort of the warrior angel, what, what kind of uh, delineation does uh, Gabriel get? Anybody? He's always the messenger. He's always bringing the message. And it always, by the way, includes Jesus Christ. I love that about Gabriel. There's always something having to do with Jesus in Gabriel's messages and stuff like that. Um, By the way, there's three main angels. Because remember it says Michael, one of the chief princes. Um, uh, Did you know there's actually three main angels that were made by God? Don't forget, angels were created beings. Do you understand that? And I also want you to know that Jesus created them. Uh, well, Jesus wasn't even born yet. Well, remember, Jesus was before the foundations of the world and Colossians says Jesus was there at creation. Why? Because Jesus is God. Let's, let's remember all this. And so we understand angels were created beings and there were three main angels. There's Michael, Gabriel, and what's the third one? Lucifer. Lucifer, and he may have been the chiefest of, of, of them all. But as it turns out, he's, he's um, sort of, I'm gonna say this, um, Lucifer's sort of the artsy angel. That should answer a lot of questions that you might have. <laughs> uh, he was the worship leader in heaven. Even his very arms and extremities were sort of uh, like instruments, the Bible says. And there's all this interesting stuff about Lucifer, but he was also beautiful and all this stuff, but he was lifted up with pride and was cast out of heaven. And, and, and so we know that about Lucifer, but it is interesting because we know the end of the story. We know, you know, the Bible tells us, Roman, pardon me, Revelation chapter 20, talks about how Michael the archangel will eventually uh, subdue Satan himself and chain him up and cast him in. Like, it's Michael that's gonna do that. Why? 
because um, picture a SEAL Team 6 guy, uh, you know, taking on your average church worship leader. Uh, it's not gonna be much of a battle. Uh, I don't know, maybe there's some tough worship leaders. I wouldn't mess with Joey, my son. Uh, just got his brown belt in jiu-jitsu. He can tie most people in pretzels, but, uh, uh, but uh, that's not, not the normal uh, kind of case. But, but yeah, I put most SEAL Team 6 guys against uh, most worship leaders. That's what's gonna happen. Michael the archangel, this, this warrior angel, is gonna take on Lucifer and gonna chain him up and throw him in. The Abuso, and eventually he'll be cast into the lake of fire. So we know how it's gonna turn out. Now with that in mind, don't make the mistake that people make where they put Jesus and Satan as opposites. Huge mistake. And I know I say this a lot, but it's a mentality that I see out there all the time. Ooh, the devil's gonna get you. We gotta be afraid because of the demons and the devils. Ooh, no, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. How much greater? Massively and eternally different and more powerful. You have to understand Jesus is the one who created all these things and you have Christ in you. That's why we don't have to run around all heebie-jeebied out about the demons and the devils and get all freaked out. If you're a Christian, man, that, the, the enemy, the evil one has no power against you. Um, you cannot be possessed by a demon if you're a Christian. You know, if, if there's light in you, there can be no darkness. Um, and if Christ is in you, there's no darkness. So um, the, the dark and light can't dwell together. Um, that's, that's good news for, for the Christian. Now, if you're not a Christian, you're on your own and that's the bad news. But what we see here is none other than spiritual warfare. Uh, things that Daniel didn't see. He's just fasting and praying and you know, not taking a shower and he's just kind of mourning and grieving and fervently praying. And it takes 21 days. And why did it take 21 days? And, and he tells us right here, he says, because man, it took 21 days because I went and, and, I, and I was withheld by the Prince of Persia. That's a demonic entity of Persia, which also is interesting. Did you know there's demonic entities that seem to be power over certain regions of the world? That's an interesting thing. Now, not to be, this starts to sound heebie-jeebie, I understand. But as one who's been to 27 different countries in the world, I do believe that there are spiritual powers that cover um, entire nations. I really do. I've been to countries where there's just a spiritual darkness and it's a different sort of spiritual climate, if you would. And a lot of times we Americans, we don't always know it. Sure, America's got darkness and we're ushering in more and more darkness as we get further down the road and sad to see. But man, there's some countries that have a real dark, dark background and, uh, and you can see it. There's a spiritual darkness. Um, I think Persia is one of those places that still is very dark and bless the heart of the people that live there um, it's amazing that the church is starting to grow even in Iran, which is modern day Persia. Um, there's the church, Christians are growing even though they're being persecuted horribly. Meanwhile, there's this extremely dark Islamic regime that's in, in power there. And I think it's the same demonic elements probably that Michael the archangel had to thump on a little bit so that Gabriel could get through and talk to Daniel. Those entities are still at play. Um, if you don't believe it, remember what Paul the Apostle said, of course, in Ephesians chapter six. That's why we as Christians, we get to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We gotta remember that, by the way. When you have conflict with people, it's easy to think, well, we have conflict with them, flesh and blood. 
But we have to remember that the enemy wants to devour and to destroy, and he wants to cause strife and contention and every evil work. And the Bible says that, that, that's not wisdom from above, that's James chapter three, earthly, sensual, and devilish. That's what it says. But the wisdom that comes from the Lord is peaceable, full of good fruit, without partiality, without hypocrisy. Man, I love that, the fruit of righteousness sown by them in peace. Like what a beautiful compare and contrast. So when you see stuff of strife and contention, know that we're not wrestling against the flesh and blood. You know, it's so important to understand that, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world. Um, So we're seeing this kind of pictured in a real practical way here in Daniel chapter 10. Um, So it goes on, he says, Man, lo, you know, Michael, he had to come and help me, but he got him through. Michael got Gabriel through, if it is Gabriel. Um, So now, he says, verse 14, now I'm come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people in the latter days. Whose people? Daniel's people, the Jews. I I put that out again. People make a mistake when they start putting the church in here. Uh, You know, it's gonna come on thy people in the latter days, for yet the vision is for many days. This is a long time from now, Daniel. It's gonna be days and days and days from now. But it's for the latter days, the end times. That's what the word latter days means, the end times of the world. And it's gonna be upon the Jews. And verse 15, when he had spoken such words to me, I set my face toward the ground and I became dumb. Man, he just couldn't say a word. And behold, one like the similitude of the sons of men touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spake and said unto him that stood before me, O my Lord, um, by the vision my sorrows are turned upon me and I have retained no strength. Daniel's going through sort of an emotional ringer with this particular vision and prophecy, more than the other ones. Um, And you're gonna see why when we get to chapter 11. This This is a horrifying, kind of brutal thing, both in near history for Daniel, but even more so in the future history of Daniel during the tribulation period. We're gonna see both and it's gonna be ugly and that's why Daniel's stumped. But it is interesting, notice Daniel can't say a word in the presence of this angel, he's dumb. And what has to happen? He has to have his lips touched. Does that ring a bell? Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah chapter six, verse seven, you know, woe is me. Uh, It's not that he had a horse named Ismi. Um, uh, he said, woe, woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. Uh, I live among the people that are of unclean lips. And then, you know, this, this, this angel comes and puts a coal on his lips and cauterizes his lips um, because it's full of sin and stuff. Same kind of thing here. Daniel can't say a word until his lips are touched. And now he says, um, oh Lord, my vision is sorrows are turned upon me. He's saying, I have no strength in me. This, is, this has wiped me out. Do you ever feel like when you see what's going on in the world, you kind of feel your strength sapped? Like your energy just taken from you? Um, What's the answer? Well, let's read on. Um, Verse 17, for how can the servant of this my Lord talk with this my Lord? As for me, straightway there has remained no strength in me, neither is there breath left in me. Then there came again, uh, then there came again and touched me, one like the appearance of a man, and he strengthened me. I love this. What's happening? Daniel's being strengthened. By who? Seems to me like he's being strengthened by the angels. Do you remember someone else who was strengthened by the angels? Elijah, you could make that argument for sure, but someone greater than Elijah. Jesus! 
Remember Matthew chapter four, after the big temptation of Christ, what happens after the devil left him, then what? The angels came and ministered to Jesus. That's an amazing thing. Jesus is far greater than the angels, but in his human form, you know, he, he, was, he was tempted in all points like as we were. He was in a weakened state for the fasting and the temptation and all that stuff. And the Lord was, what an amazing thing when Christ became a man, that he felt what it was like to be weak and without any strength. And the angels came and ministered to him. Just like, can you imagine being those angels? You want us to do what? <laughs> Go minister to, to, to God? How, why? Like, what's the point? We, we got nothing. Nope, just do the. And there's Jesus who, you know, uh, was God in human form and the angels came and ministered to him. That's just, that's just amazing for me to think about that. But, um, you know, I can relate more to Daniel and these guys where you're just kind of like, man, you see what's going on. You see what's happening in the world and you just kind of get sapped of your energy. And that's where you just say, Lord, would you just come and strengthen me? And, and let the Lord start dispatching angels and the Lord will take care of you. You know, the Lord talks about how he will strengthen you. He will not suffer the righteous to be moved. Um, you know, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Like we, we get a real strength from the Lord and we gotta find that. Um, if you find yourself being sapped, stop watching, you know, Fox News and CNN and all the top talk radio people and the, the, the podcasts and stuff and just go to the Lord and say, oh Lord, you know, I'm weak. Uh, strengthen me and fill me. And the Lord is faithful to do that. Uh, he really is. Well, that's what happens. Daniel gets strengthened. Um, uh, and that happens in verse 18. Well, verse 19, it says again, and, and this, this angel says, oh man, greatly beloved. Again, I think this is Gabriel. This is his, kind of his, his one, two, three. Right here, the third time he's saying, Daniel, you're greatly beloved. Um, Fear not, peace be unto thee, be strong, yea, be strong. And when he had spoken unto me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak for thou hast strengthened me. Then he said, knowest thou therefore I come unto thee? Uh, why or wherefore I come unto thee? And, and now I will turn to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I am gone forth, lo, the prince of Greece shall come. Now, now you say, what, what, what in the world is this happening here? Well, he's, he's, gonna, he's basically saying, Daniel, I got something I need to tell you. And in a few minutes here, I'm gonna head off and go back to fighting the Prince of Persia. And, uh, but after that, I'm gonna fight the Prince of Greece, which remember the Medo-Persians, then the Greeks. Um, all of these are spiritual powers that were behind the Medo-Persians and the Greek empire, Alexander the Great and all those guys that we talked about before. And these angels are off fighting battles. But this one's saying, but I got something I gotta tell you before I go off back to fighting the fight. What an interesting thing. Um, and, uh, and, and by the way, this is 200 years before the Greeks would come into power. Um, but it's, it's interesting, this angel says, yeah, but I'm gonna go fight the Greeks after I get the Prince of Persia. But verse 21, I will show thee that which is noted in the scripture of truth. And there is none that holdeth with me in these things, but Michael, your prince. He's gonna say, I'm gonna show you what the scriptures say. Um, this is interesting. Um, the idea is the prophecy you're going to hear is already spoken of in the scriptures. And that's one of the things I love about the Bible. It's this integrated message system. And, and we never really see in these prophecies just sort of one mention of something, but they're all integrated and intertwined. And I love it. 
It, it actually, one book starts to answer, answer the other. And it's, these aren't just lonely passages that speak of crazy things. Um, you know, everything we're gonna read about in Daniel chapter 11 has to do with history and prophecy. Um, history with the Ptolemies, Ptolemies and the Seleucids and all that stuff we talked about last time or last week. But we're also gonna talk about Antichrist. Antichrist is gonna be a central theme of this prophecy and this vision. And we will pick up that uh, next week as we uh, tackle chapter 11. Uh, let's pray together. Lord, how thankful we are um, for this, this prayer of Daniel, the, uh, the seeking of your face through fasting and prayer. And Lord, how thankful I am, even as James 5.16 says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And Lord, I pray that we would be people who like Daniel, see the value of prayer. Not just quick little prayers, those are great, I know, but, but prayers of real fervor and, and um, honoring you, even fasting and prayer. And Lord, just with that, that um, fear that we're supposed to have, that, that the fear of, of, of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And Lord, we know that fools despise that. So we wanna, we wanna be humble and, and know that you are God that we would be still enough to hear from you and to be led by your spirit. So Lord, work within us those attributes, Lord, like Daniel, to be a, a fervor, fervent person in prayer. And then Lord, these visions and all the things he sees, Lord, it, it's leading up to your full plan to unfold on this earth, Lord, in the latter days. And I pray that you'd find your church prayed up and worshipful. Lord, that we'd have the right mind, that we wouldn't be easily duped by false teaching and false doctrine. Lord, help us not to be lured or easily twisted into these things, but give us a, a strength, Lord. Strengthen us like you did Daniel. Lord, some of us in this time of this, this season of COVID and, and lockdowns and mandates and, and our, our, um, just our world's kind of tipsy-turvy and all kinds of crazy stuff going on. Lord, strengthen your church. I pray that you'd, you'd cleanse our lips and that we'd be able to speak your truth, Lord, in these dark days that we're living. So Lord, even tonight, may this word bring forth good fruit in our lives, that we'd be more like Daniel in prayer, following you, looking to your scriptures for understanding. Bless, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen, amen.